Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, happy to have you guys here. We are in a book uh, series in the book of Hebrews. We're calling it Wonderful. We're looking at some of the great truths in this incredible book written to a group of people that were walking this journey of faith out in the first century. And today we come to a passage, Hebrews 12, and I, I love the Bible because it speaks so relevantly today, just as it did thousands of years ago. It speaks to the issues of life. It speaks to the issues uh, that are deep within our hearts. And uh, it just helps us understand how to do life well. And today, one of my favorite passages, because it's an athletics analogy, right? All, all the sports guys in the room love when the Bible comes up and the authors of Scripture use athletic analogies. And today we have an athletic analogy as the author of Hebrews compares life to a race. To a race, right? And maybe some of you have thought of that before. Life is a journey. Life is a pathway. Life is a road. And, and what's it all about? What's the purpose of that pathway? What's the purpose of that rate? What does the finish line look like? What are we striving towards? And how do we run this race called life? And how do we finish it well, right? Mar marriage is a marathon, right? Marriage is a long-term race. And we start out with flourishing and wonder and the, ro the romantic phase. And all of a sudden, that goes away. And how do we push through some of those hard times, some of those difficult times, and finish well. Parenting is this amazing thing. They pop out, and you got them, and you're all excited, and then there's those sleepless nights, and then they become teenagers, and you go, oh my gosh, how do we get through these teen years and finish well, right? Our careers, you know, we start out, and we're Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and yet, after years and years of striving and trying to climb that ladder and going through ups and downs and corporate changes and transitions, how do we keep the fire going and finish? Well, this passage is relevant to all of us because we're all on this journey. We all want to do it well. We all want to understand what it means to live a life of faith and flourishing. How do we do it well? In 1996... I had a bucket list item on my bucket list uh, to run a marathon. I had the opportunity to run the Orange County Marathon. I entered the Clydesdale Division because I'm about 6'5", 200 and some pounds, so there's not a lot of, mar not a lot of big bulky marathon runners. But I, this was on my bu bucket list. I was going to do this, so I trained six months. I got a, a crew of guys that wanted to do this with me, and so we worked out. We did short runs, long runs. We got together. We talked about what we're going to eat, how you hydrate, all the stuff, you know, and we talked about the wall. If anybody's run a marathon, you understand what the wall means, right? Anybody faced the wall before in a marathon? It's something that they tell you about, but you don't understand it until you experience it, right? And I hit that wall at about 23, you know, and those last three miles were gut-wrenching. My legs were screaming. I wanted to quit. I wanted to stop. Uh, I, I didn't care anymore about what my dreams were. I didn't care. I was angry at the mayor because I read the brochure and it said the last three miles were going to be downhill and I was on a hill and I was yelling and screaming. What's wrong with the mayor of L.A. that he would put this pain into my life? Fortunately, I had a buddy 
The guy right next to me. I'm the guy with the hat on that says bum. That's me. I'm the bum up there. That guy right next to me talked me through the wall. He got me to the finish line. And I got to fulfill my bucket list. And you know, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians that started out this wonderful race of faith. They found Jesus Christ. The, complete, the completion of all the Old Testament prophecies and promises. The Messiah. They were born again. They were excited. They started to run. They were flourishing. And then they hit a wall of persecution. A wall of struggle. A wall of difficulty. And this book is written to them. It's a pastoral letter to them to say, stay in the race. Stay in the race because only Jesus Christ... And only Christianity gives you the resources, the best resources to finish well and push through the quitting points of life. How do we do that? You may be at a place of quitting here this morning. Maybe you feel like you're so overwhelmed in your relationships. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you have a wayward teen. Maybe you feel like giving up and quitting. Maybe your career is at a very challenging place and you're struggling and you're just going, I, I'm, I, it's hopeless for me. I'm never going to go. Maybe you feel like giving up on God and giving up on that purpose in your job, in your career. You know, maybe it's a physical challenge, you know, an addiction that you've been struggling and you're falling back and you're struggling. You're hitting that wall and falling back and you feel like saying, ah, it's over for me. I'm just, I'm just going to drink my life away. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with your faith and where is God in the midst of your challenge? And this passage is written to you to help you understand how you crash through the quitting points of life. And the first thing that the author is saying to these people, don't be surprised when you hit the wall. <laughs> don't be surprised when you hit the wall. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Who are they? We've talked about that. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is the hall of faith. It lists all these great heroes of faith. They finished the race. Just like at the LA Marathon, there was all these runners that had finished the race, and they're waiting for other people to finish their legs so we can all celebrate. There is those that have gone before us, and they've run their leg of faith, and they've finished. And they're surrounding us, cheering us on. They're waiting for us. to. They're a witness to us. But now it's our leg of the race. It's your leg of the race. This life is given to you and you only get one. Right? It's this race that God's marked out for you. It's a purpose that's defined. There's a reason behind your existence. And so run this race well and finish it well. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Watch out for expectations. You will hit the wall. Orange County does not prepare us for suffering, guys. Right? The philosophies of this world, modernism, you know, philosophical naturalism does not prepare you for the wall. All the modern world can tell you is avoid suffering at all costs. It is purposeless. It is meaningless. It has no value. And avoid it at all costs. Because it's random. It's chance. And so avoid it. And if you get it, we don't have a lot of hope for you. 
we got some coping mechanisms. We'll give you some pills so you can medicate yourself. We'll give you some morphine. But beyond that, we don't have much hope for you. That's the modern story. It's great. Technology is great. Pills are great. I love doctors. But guess what? When you hit the wall and they can't cure your cancer, they don't have a lot of answers for you. When you hit the wall and they can't get you through this addiction, they don't have a lot of answers for you. When you hit the wall and there is no new job for you because you've been dis displaced by technology, the modern world doesn't have a lot of answers for you. That's when you need a bigger paradigm and a bigger understanding of what life is about and what the true finish line is. That's where Christianity offers you a hope that is beyond this life and a hope that somehow the suffering and the difficulties of this life can be used for something that's bigger and more beautiful and more wonderful in your life. Science doesn't give you that hope. Modernism, naturalism doesn't give you that hope. Only a flourishing in Christ. Watch out for expectations. You are in a marathon. You're not in a sprint. Orange County says you're in a sprint to comfort and earthly security. Run after that money as fast as you can. Run after that, that happiness as fast as you can. Get that house as fast as you can. Get that stuff, and that's your happiness. And that's great as long as it works. But when you hit a wall and that stuff's gone, if that is your purpose, you lose your purpose. There's a kid at Colonel Lamar High School, and his purpose was to get into college. His purpose was to, to make it a better life through education, and he worked hard in sports, and things w didn't go quite so right for him in that. And he struggled with that, and the pressure of that, and the student pressure. And guess what? He ended his life. He ended his life because he saw no hope beyond the wall. He saw this wall of performance and pressure and this worldly stuff that did not satisfy him and he ended his life because he had no hope. He had no hope beyond the wall. Our children, high schoolers, need a hope beyond the wall. And Jesus Christ offers a hope that takes us through and beyond the wall. We are not in a sprint. We are in a marathon. So don't be surprised. In spite of everything that consumerism tells you, don't be surprised that you're not going to hit a wall. Because life is about hitting a wall. The word race there is called agon in the Greek. It we get the word agony from it. The author says, when you hit your agony, finish it well. Run your agony well. Life is an agonizing race at times. You will hit the wall, so don't be surprised. Much of the suffering is our dismay to say, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. I help people all the time through crisis. I can't believe, why would God do this to me? And it is a natural thing, but guess what? There are so many people that are facing that wall just like you are. There are so many people that are facing death and struggle and challenge. It is a part of the world. This world is not our home. This world is broken. And there is hope that you can get through this and go beyond the wall. Suffering offers something different. The author of Hebrews is going to tell these Christians who have hit the wall, they're thinking of leaving the faith, that uniquely in Christ, suffering offers us something that is redeemable and wonderful. And what is that? We have a chance to look inside of our heart. We have a chance to look at ourselves and look at the stuff that's hindering our love for others. In our love for God, 
and look at the stuff that tangles us up in life, that trips us up in the things that we say that matter, our families, our marriages, even our careers. We can look at ourselves because you know what? The wall has this unique ability to draw out the worst in us. When I hit the wall, love for the mayor didn't come. I didn't start praying for the mayor of Los Angeles. I started cursing the mayor of Los Angeles. I didn't even know the guy. When I hit the wall, I was bitter and angry. When I hit the wall, I was frustrated and spewing stuff out of my mouth. When people hit the wall in Orange County many times, they're not happy campers, right? You see some of them on the freeway, road rage. You see some of them in the marketplace. They try to destroy your company because they think you're out to get them. I, I mean, people have scorched earth policies when they hit the wall they, they're mad at God and they're angry at people and they destroy their marriages they destroy their children because of that pain and they blame God and blame others Christianity offers you something different to look inside yourself and say what does God want to do inside of me what is the wall in your marriage teaching you about you what is the mall in your parenting what does God want to teach you about you what is the stuff inside of you that's tripping you up in terms of loving your children or loving your spouse or having a righteous integrity in the workplace? The wall is this incredible opportunity to look at yourself. People don't look at themselves outside of the wall. I don't see it very often. <laughs> it's humanity. It's our brokenness. It's only the walls in my life that allowed me to look at myself and look at the stuff that needs to be dealt with. Right? Throw off the encumbrances and the sin that so easily entangles and run your race with perseverance. God can enable you to get through that stuff, to break through that wall, and to persevere through the other side. That is the hope that the author offers. How do we do that? What does that look like? You're not alone. That's the first thing you have to understand. You are not alone in this race. There is someone who has gone before you. There is someone who's with you. God is with you in this race. Fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Christianity is so unique amongst the religions of the world. Because guess what? Suffering is something, and evil is something that God separates himself from. It's, it's bad karma, right? When you, if you're suffering, you're suffering from bad karma, and so you've got to work that through and go through the chain of reincarnation so you can come through the other side. You've got to work it out on your own, right? It's the will of God that you suffer. And so it's, it's for you to just forge through and, and suck it up and pull up your bootstraps. It's the will of God. Uniquely, Christianity says God suffers for us. No other religion in the world says God took on skin and he entered the race. Suffering was not God's original plan or original design for you. Suffering is the result of a broken and fallen world. And God hated suffering so much, he entered into the race to deal a final blow to suffering on the cross, right? Jesus ran his race and he finished it on the cross to deal with suffering and death. 
God understands suffering because he suffered himself. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He understands what it means to be a human and to go through pain, emotional, spiritual, physical pain. He is with you in that race uniquely through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to put an end to suffering, and we know the future, one day there will be no more suffering. But in the in-between time, there's this unique opportunity to take suffering and allow God to use it for good in our lives, to redeem it. It doesn't have to be just some random chance happening that we're fatalistic about or God's judging us. It can be something that God uses to redeem and to bless and to bring his goodness into our lives. That's uniquely the Christian message. God enters the race for us. And why does he do this? Right? Why did Jesus even get in the race? I mean, Jesus had everything, right? He didn't need to work out holiness down here. He he needed to get more glory down here. He had all the glory he needed in heaven. He had all the holiness. He had all the comfort. He had all the security. There's only one thing he didn't have in heaven. And what was that? You. You. Everybody wants a bucket list, right? Yeah, I got to go to Cabo. I got to go to Europe. I got to go climb Mount Everest. I got to go run a marathon. I got to accomplish these things so I can feel good about my life. What's God's bucket list? It's you. I got to go down there because I, I can't stand to be in heaven without those people. I got to go down there and go to the cross and suffer so those people can be with me in eternity. You're on God's bucket list. You're the one he dreamed of. You're the one he came for. You're the one he died for. You're his bucket list. That was the joy that was set before him. He couldn't dream of heaven without you, so he went to hell for you. He took the condemnation and the shame, and he offers you grace. That is the joy that caused him to run that race. And now as we look to him, and we suffer with him in this life, we can have that same joy deep within our hearts. That's part of the work that he wants to do within us, to bring that joy even in the midst of sorrow and grief. Jesus endured by faith because of the joy set before him. And we can have that same joy as we look to him the author and perfecter of our faith, right? He's the author. He's the one that lived a perfect life. And he authored our faith. He gave us the gift of faith. But he also did not leave us alone in the race, right? He says, I'm going to the Father, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm asking the Father to give another one just like me who will comfort you and won't just be beside you, he'll be in you, right? The Holy Spirit. God has given you a piece of himself, right, to run this race, right, a piece of himself, the Holy Spirit, to give you the energy and the power. And so in suffering, God uses the Spirit to perfect us, the author and perfecter of faith. This is uniquely the gift that Christianity gives to us when we face the walls and the quitting points of life. You are not alone. God is suffering for you, and he's suffering with you, and he's given you a way through. Your father is for you. The author uh, changes metaphors now, and he says, 
he moves from this athletic metaphor to this fatherly love, like as if father, our father is there with us in this race, and he's using the things that come into our life for a unique purpose. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Because don't forget it, Hebrews. God it addresses you as a father. God is addressing you as his son. You're as his children. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. See, we think it's punishment. We think discipline is punishment, but that's not what the essence of what the author of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, no, discipline is redemptive. Discipline is actually love. Discipline is doing something powerful in your life. Struggles are now a part of God's fatherly love in your life. He will use these struggles now to teach you and train you in the way of love and righteousness. Just like an earthly father... And many, we have many earthly fathers in this room, and we know that there are times we have to give our children loving consequences, right? If not, they're going to go off the rails, right? If not, they're just going to grow up selfish, entitled children that, that are just about themselves, right? And so there are times we have to set boundaries. When those boundaries are broken, we bring consequences, Right? And we don't do it perfectly. I didn't do it perfectly as a father when I disciplined my children. No earthly father does it perfectly, but your heavenly father does it perfectly because he sees this perfect plan and his heart is always what is good and loving. His fatherly discipline is pedia. That's the Greek word that we get pediatrician from. His discipline is pediatrician. His discipline is for healing It's for the flourishing of your life. It's a medical word. He's disciplining you. It's a pediatric love. It's a pediatric discipline because you go to the doctor for healing and health. (laughs) That's the outcome of his discipline. When Regan was small, we were planning a trip to go to Europe. And just before that trip, she slipped on steps and gashed her knee open. And she was bleeding. And I had to take her to the doctor. And the doctor came back with some troubling news. We can get you patched up and go to Europe, but I'm going to have to give you a shot right in your knee because so you don't get tetanus. And that was fear to Regan. She was flipping out. And so what I had to do is I had to grab a hold of Regan and I had to hold her down because she was flailing and kicking because she was so afraid of this needle. And I held her down. I said, Regan, ultimately, this is for your good. This is going to hurt, but it's going to be healing in your life, right? You see, discipline, we don't understand it many times. Just like a child doesn't understand, why is God doing this? Why is he bringing this life? Just like Regan did not understand why that needle was coming in. It was too fearful, and sometimes we don't understand the big picture. But the end game was healing, right? And many times we go through struggles and challenges, and God's end game, even though we don't understand, is for healing and redemption. Right? Just like you ask your children to trust you, and they go, no, no, Dad, you're terrible. I, I can't believe you. You're the worst person in the world. My life is ruined because I can't go to the birthday party. I mean, you have those meltdowns, right? And many times we do that with God, but God has a greater purpose, right? He sees the big picture. We're looking at parenting as a marathon, not just an event. God is not just looking at the events. 
He's looking at the marathon and what he wants to do to you and what he wants to create in you. He allows the right struggle at the right time with the right amount of caring change to bring transformation in your heart. That's why it says, endure this. Be humble. Be humble like a child who has to accept the discipline of his father or mother because the parent is in charge and understands what to do. Receive that in humility, right? Endure that because there's a great outcome. God is doing something bigger within your heart. And so he disciplines us for good. For what children are disciplined by their father? Their discipline is for a little while as though they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, he's working his goodness and holiness in our life. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's no fun to hit the wall. It's no fun to have discipline. It's painful at times. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. That's the parenting marathon. That's what happens, parents, over the years. Later on, they do come back. They do get over the teenhood. They do come back, and they do appreciate, and they do understand. I've seen it happen in my own life. He brings external brokenness to bear on our internal brokenness in order to bring about true transformation in our lives. And The Bible is one example over another of how God has worked this into people's lives. The greatest example for homework this week is read again the life of Joseph, right? Joseph, this great hero of faith, his brothers were jealous of him. Joseph grew up as a favored child. Joseph was, was selfish because he was, his, he was his father's favorite son. He got all the great gifts. He got the, the code and all the affirmations and all this stuff. And so he became a little prideful. Uh, a little better than his brothers. He shared his dreams. I'm the best, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Joseph was bound to live a life of selfishness, of narcissism, of all about me. But God's love was greater than that. And God allowed things to come into Joseph's life in order to develop his character so he could be a man of greatness. Read his story. His brother's jealousy, God used his brother's jealousy, the external brokenness of this world, for Joseph to be going to slavery, and that was about redemptive love. That was about character transformation. God used Potiphar's wife, her lust and her greed, to move Joseph into prison, right? To change Joseph's character and his heart, to humble him, to grow him as a leader, to show him what his great gifts were, so he would be ready to stand before Pharaoh, and eventually lead the nation and redeem his people. This is a great story of how God used external circumstances that were broken to deal with the brokenness in Joseph's heart so one day he could become a man of character and greatness. And he redeems his whole family, his whole nation. And the answer is Genesis 50-20. Joseph says at the end of his life, what you meant for evil, the external stuff, the evil stuff, God meant for good. God is able to take external evil and bring it to bear on our own brokenness to bring transformation and growth in our lives. And that's how we crash through the wall. We know that Jesus is with us. We know that God is for us. And we know he's working this redemptive plan in our lives. That is God's goodness and grace. That's how you can push through the quitting points and the hard places where you feel like giving up 
There's a bigger plan. The finish line is not earthly success. It's eternal glory. It's eternal glory. And as we close our time together today, we're going to have a time of worship. The band is going to come up. We're going to take communion together. But I want you just to consider. Consider the one who came for you, entered this race, and looked at the cross and saw you. And because of that joy, he endured that suffering so that you would have redemption in your life. Many of you are going through hard times right now. Maybe you're out of a job. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe there's addiction issues. Maybe there's suffering that's going on. And what do you look to? You have a God who came down to be with you, to suffer for you, to be with you in this suffering and look to him. Today as we come to the communion table, he is saying to us, this is my body and blood. This is my life that was given for you so that you might have redemption, that you might have salvation. I suffered so that you would know eternal joy. Lean into that God at this table. Ask him to be with you. See, Jesus was rejected in suffering, but you are not rejected in your suffering. God is with you in your suffering. Jesus lost glory because he was disconnected from the Father. Suffering now brings glory to you. Jesus was crushed on the cross. Now suffering doesn't have to crush you. It can build the character of eternity in your heart. This is the redemptive story that we're all living. This is why you're in this race. This is why the wall can have purpose in your life. Experience that suffering with humility. Receive it from God. Ask him to be with you in that suffering. And don't be alone. I, I never could have gone through the wall without a guy that came alongside me. I never could have made it through the death of my son without a church to walk me through that. I never could have gone through the loss of a business without people, men of God and women of God that prayed for me and walked me through. You can't run this race alone. You need a church. You need a community. You need godly people. Christianity is not some spectator sport that you come and hear a message and go out and live your life. It is a community of faith, of fellow sufferers. Say, I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to go to the hospital. I'm willing to pray for you. I'm willing to bring you food. That's why the world was lit on fire because Christians were the most loving people in the world. Are we that today? Are we so busy sprinting after these earthly treasures that we don't have time to love our neighbor and go to the broken and go to the hurting and tell them they matter to God? I'm praying that God will light a fire in me and a fire in us that would burn so bright that we would suffer with others, that we would share the good news of Jesus with them. We would walk them through the suffering so that they can come out on the other side. That's what the church is about. So let's take this, this bread and this cup and celebrate Jesus this morning. Ask him to change us in our suffering that we might love others in the midst of suffering. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you this morning for reminding us that we don't have to quit. Father, if anybody here this morning is thinking of quitting on life or quitting on their marriage or quitting on their children or quitting on you, oh God, would you, would you fill them with your grace and your mercy? Would you come around them today and provide them hope?
that they can get through this storm, they can crash through the barriers because you are with them. And the church is here to love them and encourage them. May they not be alone. And use this bread and cup now to heal and minister and to fill us with your glory, Jesus, that we might suffer well and love others in the midst of suffering. We thank you that you came to suffer for us. We receive your body and blood. We celebrate your death for us. We thank you for the joy. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship, we have four stations. Just grab a little piece of bread and a cup and feel free to worship, pray, uh, be with God. Now this is your time to respond as we worship the Lord. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church. 